episode of Read, Watch, Play. I'm Justin. I'm Cleo. I'm James. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about the end of the tour. So uh, this movie is about the five-day interview between David Foster Wallace and David Lipsky, a Rolling Stone reporter at the time, uh, immediately following the release of Infinite Jest. Um, yeah, through the through the book tour, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. the the I mean it's 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 the end of the tour. Yeah, the end the, of the book the tour. last stop uh on the book tour. It's about 3 weeks after the book is released. Uh and he follows DFW around for this couple of days and flies with him to Minneapolis and uh and just sort of profiles him uh and writes this big piece in Rolling Stone afterwards. And uh at this point everyone it, the book is already making huge waves. Like this and it I imagine people know that Infinite Jest is not only a hugely significant book, but a book that was in very quickly significant. You're not the kind of thing that, you know, people realize 10 years later or whatever. But um, even, yeah, like three weeks after the book had been released, the reviews are beyond glowing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jason Siegel plays David Foster Wallace. And then Jesse, did we already mention this? I'm sorry. No, we like, didn't. No. <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg plays uh, David Lipsky. And is there anybody else who's like a known actor who shows up? Uh, Joan Cusack, I think. Yeah, yes. Joan Cusack. Oh, yeah. Guy. Uh, yeah. The... It's a small role, but she's fun in it. She's yeah. pretty funny. Yeah. yeah. She's funny in everything that she shows up in. Yeah, Joan Cusack's great. great. <laughs> uh, and it's really, I mean. <laughs> great, just like Pavlovian <laughs> response. You hear Joan Cusack. <laughs> yeah. Joan Cusack's great. <laughs> and yeah, it really it follows. It's a pretty tight move. I mean, that it's really about these two people. And this, I mean, this is a movie about David Foster Wallace that is an hour and 46 minutes long. Like, I legitimately thought this could have been, like, a three-hour movie and was just fully expecting that. Yeah, it was definitely shorter than I expected. I know it, it's hard to say what I expected. I think this movie, in a lot of ways, wasn't what I expected. Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting, though, because it's – I would argue it's not really even so much about David Foster Wallace as it is about the interview, right? Yeah, it's really – I mean, it, it it's more about – Lipsky wanting to tell us about David Foster Wallace than it is about David. Fo like it's about it, like it's told from Lipsky's point of view. It's it's based on the book that Lipsky wrote after David Foster Wallace committed suicide. It's it's like strictly what he thought of David Foster Wallace and not necessarily what David Foster Wallace was like. If that makes sense. It's very much about David Foster Wallace through his eyes and yeah, his experiences yeah. with him. That's that's the much better way of saying it. Which, ironically, feels like the kind of film to which David Foster Wallace would be fantastically opposed. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I haven't read any David Foster Wallace. Um, I, I want to. I just, I haven't. It's one of those things I've been putting off, just like a million other books I've been wanting to read. I was supposed to this summer. I agreed with a, a small group of friends to... Uh, to do infinite summer this year and just tackle a couple pages a day and, and get through the whole book in about three months. And I, uh, fell, I, I didn't start it on time. And then I fell about 200 pages behind real quick. Ugh. And then I was just like, well, I'm, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to do this. Sorry guys. Yeah. Next summer. Yeah. I, I also have not really read David Foster Wallace at all. Um, he's, I don't know. I always think of him as a, particularly intimidating author. And I don't know if it is like, I've, I've heard that infinite summer is a great thing to do, but at the same time, there's that part of me that feels like, Oh, well, if 
if the way to read this is to get a whole bunch of like a, get a support group around you to help you through it <laughs> and do it like a couple pages at a time and read it over three months like it it sounds like fun and interesting but it also makes it sound like very intimidating it's kind of like an ordeal yeah yeah right it doesn't it doesn't make me excited to read it even though i also like am aware of the fact that the reason people do this is because it's something that People want to read. It's just physically difficult to get. Yeah, involved, and right? people want to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. You want you want those people there that you can talk to about it as you're going through and yeah. have that experience. But, but all of that being necessary still feels a little little much. Yeah, it feels like a really big undertaking. Yeah, <laughs> it's not the kind of thing you you one does not undertake. David Foster Wallace lightly <laughs> is the impression that I get. Yeah. Uh. Right. All right. So the movie, I guess. Yeah. I yeah. Rather than just talking, probably about talking. About it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, we can start off with, with how everybody felt about the movie. If we've nailed those feelings down. All right. I guess yeah. even more simply, James, did you like the movie? I don't know. I, I came out of the movie thinking it was good. I think over the next few days I'd cooled down to, okay. Um, I think now I'd say it was all right. It, which is like a, just like one step down from okay. Yeah, and I think I'm kind of settling around there. I, you know, there were some things that I thought were really cool about it and some things that I had a lot, had more issues with it, it particularly because this is the kind of movie that, I don't know, it it's never fair to judge a movie based on what it could have been um, and what it, I think in this case, almost was. Um, but at the same time, I think particularly in this case, very much fails in being the thing that it could be and that that thing could be such a cool movie. Um, I think movies like this, right? Like it, I mean, look at a film like almost famous, right? Um, that is a very similar thing. You've got this young Rolling Stone writer going out and interviewing someone who is you know, like this, this big band and it goes and it's going to be this, this cover story. Um, and you look at things like that and the really kind of the great things about a movie like that and the great things about a piece like that are those really humanizing moments, right? It It's not the scenes where Russell's on top of the pool house and says, I am a golden god. Well, he's you know high on drugs. He says that those to be his last words. Like my last words are I'm on drugs. It The really great scenes are the fact that that's followed up by that just fantastic, one of the single best scenes in film just the tiny dancer scene where the whole band is on the bus and they just start singing tiny dancer together spontaneously in those really human moments and i felt like this movie lacked those almost all of the dialogue to me felt like it was siegel and eisenberg reading the interview tapes and i don't know if the idea is that they just wanted to stay really true to things that both of them actually said they didn't want to put words in david foster wallace's mouth they wanted to stick to things that he said but i feel like the result is that you have this guy who in spite of every effort that he makes to tell you what a normal guy he is he can't like help but couch that in some sort of like just brilliant poetic just perfectly concise statement about what it is to be a regular guy and it everything feels not rehearsed but also not casual and you i feel like you don't get those humanizing moments with a couple exceptions i'll say three exceptions um two that are one that is very late in the movie that i won't mention here um 
and then two that are in the previews, which is frustrating because it leads you to believe that it's more of the movie. But when they're talking about Die Hard and um, the bit where it shows uh, Wallace talking into Lipsky's recorder um, by himself. And those kind of humanizing moments, I think, are great. But every other moment in the film is so rock star. And I that, I think, weakens it. So that was my thing. And the reason why it was so hard for me was I, I had a really hard time figuring that out. And that I knew it was weird right off the bat and that it felt like it was just them reading the interviews. And it made me really interested in the interviews. But it made me less interested in this as a film. It felt more like a dramatic reading than than that. Um, sorry, I've gone on for a really long time, but I we just kind of let you go with it because you were on a roll, dude. I it took it genuinely took me. We're I mean, fans will notice that we're releasing this a bit late, and it genuinely has taken me the time since I saw this movie kind of early in this cycle until now to really kind of distill that into. A, what I actually feel, B, anything other than just an like a multi-hour directionless tirade of trying to understand that. Because there's a big part of me that likes it a lot, right? Like, clearly these are two fascinating, interesting people, and one of them who really wants to be the other, and the other one who is trying to convince him that, no, you don't. But other than that, though, like, it it never really feels like it humanizes Wallace. And that's the thing that's tricky for me, in spite of the fact that that's clearly all he wants. Um, the entire thing, it's just telling you, like, what a rock star he is. He's being interviewed for the cover of Rolling Stone. You have that sequence that's right out of Almost Famous, where Lipsky is talking to his editor, and he's like, oh, you don't want to, like, this guy's not your friend, don't be his friend, go in and talk about the drugs. And, it, like, it feels like Rolling Stone, it feels like a rock star. And Wallace talks about his addictions and like his addictions aren't sexy. They're no more normal than that. And again, we can get into that more later, but everything about this is, it feels like the point of the movie is to tell you how much of a rock star David Foster Wallace is, but that's also the premise, right? Like you go into the movie understanding that David Foster Wallace is a rock star because we live on earth. Like we, we have things like infinite summer. We talk about infinite just that way we want to go see a movie about David Foster Wallace because he's inherently fascinating. So it felt like that, that was the tricky thing for me. And what was most sad was it feels like, I think there's an amazing movie here based on this story that we, that won't be able to be made for another 20 years. But I think 20 years from now, someone will fictionalize this and will add those moments that we don't have tapes of and will write that story in and, We'll have a certain distance from Wallace as the man and more live with Wallace the idea. And someone will be able to build around that and bizarrely, I think, make a more human portrayal of that. And I think that that movie, when it comes out, is going to be gorgeous and just really something special. All right. So that's our episode. <laughs> um, no, for real though. I'll say, uh, yeah, I just won't talk anymore. I've, I have a lot. And that was my allotment for the episode. I'll, uh, I'll just sit back and that'll be my third. But uh, Cleo? So I, I saw the movie fairly only a few days ago, so pretty recently. And I really liked it. I mean, I liked it a lot when I had seen it. I'm also, I don't know. I've, I haven't read any David Foster Wallace, so I might be able to. One of the criticisms I've heard from people is that 
Jason Siegel portrayed him in a way that wasn't really like him at all. Um, and I don't, I have like never seen or heard David Foster Wallace in a recording of any kind. So, and I haven't read any of his books. So I, I'm kind of blissfully unaware of any kind of discrepancies or whatnot. Um, and I think that would be a thing that would bother me if I were like intimately familiar with David Foster Wallace at all. Uh, but as a movie kind of on its own, I liked it was kind of a quiet thing that was based mostly on like, there's a few kind of key conversations that are like the big scenes. And I kind of like, I just, I liked that. It felt kind of cozy in a way. A lot of time is spent in the car. I like movies with cars. I don't know. I mean like where people spend a lot of time in cars because it forces them to be like together in a tight space and to talk about stuff. And especially as things got kind of, you know, things like, this isn't even a spoiler, but things will get uncomfortable between the two of them occasionally. And I thought that tension was kind of nicely played out. I thought Jason Siegel did a pretty good job. I mean, I, I thought I really, I'm used to seeing him in comedic roles. So seeing him in this kind of role, I found really refreshing. And I thought I actually really enjoyed watching him in it. Jesse Eisenberg, I don't really have feelings about either way, ever. <laughs> sorry, Jesse. Um, if you're listening, sorry. I uh, love you, though, so it's fine. But, yeah, and I also, I mean, as as a writer, I enjoy, as a narcissist and a writer, I enjoy <laughs> seeing and reading things about other writers, um, especially writers have to deal with mental illness in any, you know, way, way shape, or form. Because it's, a, I mean, a lot of artists, a lot of creative people struggle with clinical depression and anxiety of various forms. And I don't know. I always am looking for realistic depictions of depression. And he, I don't know. I thought that he struck on something that did feel true. Yeah. What about you, Justin? All right. So, James, you saw this weeks ago. Cleo, you saw this days ago. I... Got out of the movie four hours ago. <laughs> um, I I decided to time it that way because I couldn't. I I wanted. I felt like the last couple episodes, the movie one, uh, didn't work as well for me because it wasn't as fresh for me. Uh, that's why for last time I I like watched Kingsman again the night before. But I, as of right now, although it seems my opinion can and probably will change, um, I I liked it. Uh, I also just loved uh jason siegel's performance i've i mean we as a as a public of people that like watches movies i don't think anybody has really seen him do something actually dramatic uh until this point and i think he nailed it given what he had to work with um and i i i like eisenberg i think he can be uh pretty good at stuff like this when when he has the right source material or if he Maybe if he feels invested, I can't. I can't really talk to his motivations, but I thought he was he was a great Lipsky, um, and I what I liked uh, I liked that it was this direct reading, and I don't I don't necessarily think that the movie benefits from it, but it as a portrayal of David Foster Wallace to me felt real because I knew it was real. Um, but it still ultimately felt like it was missing those moments that you were talking about, James, that like sort of bridge the interview tapes. Like so much of it was pulled from the tapes and the moments that were there were pulled from Lipsky's memory and the book. Um, and I, I don't know if they worked that well. Like my favorite sequence in the movie is at the very beginning when they first meet 
and he's like talking about the dogs and they're talking about the coffee or tea or, and, and like all that stuff, like, and they're talking about the tape recorder and, and they're setting like those terms and stuff. And it's like, all of that was not on the, like, that's before he presses record. Right. And that, like the fact that that was one of my favorite moments sort of speaks to how great those scenes could have been. Um, but on the whole, I think it was a really interesting portrayal of David Foster Wallace as a person dealing with exactly what he was dealing with at the time. Right? Like we get a, a a view of him dealing with this like meteoric rise to to stardom and what that means for him and how he feels about it uh, in a way that you know that we wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah, and I I do I I think both of you actually brought up some really good ones, particularly that the acting is is really good. And I do think that Jason Siegel was great in it. I I was lucky enough to see him do an interview with uh with Lev Grossman um at at a convention um earlier this summer and it was a really great interview to the extent where I would I would listen to Jason Siegel talk to anyone and I would listen to Lev Grossman interview anybody. I it just really spectacular spectacularly done both very very smart thoughtful people um and listening to Siegel talking about getting ready for this movie and I mean obviously the the man is obviously a skilled actor and I would imagine he could make himself sound enthusiastic about anything that's that is his job but he sounded genuinely really passionate about it and I think that it's a passion that comes across when you watch it and Siegel I thought really did do a great job um I also don't know enough about David Foster Wallace's, you know, mannerisms to know whether or not that was there. Um, the man looks an awful lot like David Foster Wallace, yeah. just oh to my begin God. with. Really Put the does. hair and the bandana on. Yeah, and it's the weird thing where you notice it's like, oh yeah, like it. It almost seems a bit weird because you watch it and you're like, yeah, it's Jason Siegel in a bandana, and then you look at a picture of David Foster Wallace and you go, well, I mean, yeah, it's Jason Siegel in a bandana, <laughs> but you know, it works out. But which is almost difficult, right? Because you hit the point where you're watching it and you you know intellectually that he looks a lot like David Foster Wallace in the scene, but he also looks a lot like Jason Siegel. <laughs> but he he really does do a, a great job. And I think that you're right that they do a good job taking those real moments and giving them emotion of like the speech. Um, I always kind of wonder, though, if we're seeing that much more than we would see from just reading that Rolling Stone interview, which is something where in hindsight, I feel a bit silly saying it now on air. I really wish I'd done. Yeah, I, Gone just actually read the thing. I didn't either. And and Lipsky also wrote a book, I think. Yeah. I think he wrote several. Uh, but one in particular, I mean about – like several about this, you mean? I think he might have. Because uh, I know the, the, one of the interesting things is, is how they frame the story in the movie, which I wasn't really expecting. Like I was kind of thinking it was going to be pointed to point B. They were just going to be telling the story of this interview and that was going to be that. But they instead frame it with uh, – David's suicide mm. and how Lipsky reacts to that. David Foster Wallace's suicide for right. for context. Uh, sorry, I probably going just by first name probably isn't going to work. Yeah, not again. a great not a great episode for that. Uh, but that's what did. So you know, it starts with that, and then and then we get a, a little epilogue with with Lipsky reading from the book that he that he's written, and that was like i want to go read that book i want to go read I agree. the interview i want to go read infinite jests it's going to take me a very long time but damn it i will do it yeah um it does a great job of really making you interested in wallace's work and who he was as a person yeah it, which I, again almost feels kind of gross cuz you know that wallace 
it, you get the impression that Wallace would have wanted to hear the first half of that sentence and not the back half. Yeah, very, very specifically wouldn't want anybody to know who he was or wouldn't want people to care about who he was as a person. They wouldn't want – he wouldn't want people invested in him. Right, which is I think kind of difficult because it seems like, again, not as someone who – as someone who has not specifically read his work – my interest in him is at this point kind of independent of a lot of that work. He seems like just a genuinely interesting person, whether or not he's written fiction. Like I, if you just told me there was someone who has like is this thoughtful and thinks this way and has these things to say, I wouldn't care if he was a writer, a teacher, a sewage worker. I would be very interested in just hearing those thoughts. He seems like an independently very intriguing and engaging guy. Yeah. But. I also never knew he was a creative writing professor. I probably knew this at some point, uh, but I had forgotten at least that he was a creative writing professor. And I just, I just think, man, if I had been going to college in the late nineties, when you were like six years old, <laughs> right? I mean, if I had been of college yeah. age in yeah. the late nineties, like, can you imagine being in that class? I know. How do those students feel now, especially? How many of those people are writers now? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean. It's interesting because a lot of famous writers have also been teachers at universities and whatnot. Sure. Yep. Um, Great way to make you know, salary while you yeah. do that. Yeah. Well, 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 you don't earn any money well, you from your books. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the way that I originally learned about David Foster Wallace at all was through brain pickings because they she posts a lot of stuff about um, like advice to writers, and he's one of those people who has like written the thing that's just about like advice to writers who are kind of starting out and whatnot i can't i can't remember what exactly he said but it sounded really smart when i read it that's what i remember <laughs> um but it, it also yeah i had forgotten that he had been a teacher a professor and i think that would have been a really interesting class to be in before we jump into spoilers uh generally it sounds like by and large certainly positive i certainly would say i imagine i'm the most down on it and i would never say i was negative about the film i would say at worst neutral yeah um, I, I i think i mean it sounds like we would all still tell people to see the movie i certainly would and um, again like being the one who i think was most down on it, i would never ever tell someone don't see this movie yeah i would i would definitely recommend it i mean if you if you don't have any interest at all in who david foster wallace was or or in him, then, then yeah, this isn't going to be for you. But yeah, I wouldn't urge you to see it in that yeah, situation. This isn't, this but... isn't a like, this is a well done and well acted film, but this isn't a film that like stands above its material. So I few films are ever capable of doing that. Um, so, but beyond that, if if you have even a passing interest or you became interested seeing a preview for this movie, just go for it. Yeah, or you know, listening to this, he sounds like an interesting guy to you. I I would absolutely say it. The movie is is worth is worth the watch there, particularly again because it's such a little investment. It's not a very long film. Yeah, you could, yeah, under two hours. And I never at one point felt like, oh, I'm bored. Or I'm ready for this to be over. Like oh, it was pretty engaging the entire time. Even just when it's long stretches of conversations in the same location, I found those conversations and the acting to be interesting enough that it totally held my attention. They have very the two actors have very good chemistry together. You feel you are engaged in them sitting in a car talking about what it is to be a regular dude. Yep. Or, you know, eating beef jerky and talking about Die Hard. Like, yeah, I, I completely agree. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I I'm gonna kind of correct myself earlier. I did like Jesse Eisenberg in this. I just like normally as an actor, I kind of maybe I just don't watch a lot of his stuff. So going into this I had no feelings, but I thought he did a good job here. Yeah. But, all right, so yeah, so it sounds like certainly Certainly see it if yeah, if you are if you are at all interested. If if you're not interested, I'd say after this point, um, 
that's okay. Probably not for you in that situation, and that's cool. Um, but if you're curious, worth worth a shot. Um, but so before we jump into spoiler territory, we are going to take this opportunity to talk about next month, where we're very excited. Next month being October, we're going to be releasing a series of horror-themed episodes. Um, uh, so our movie is going to be It Follows. Yes. Uh, and we're also going to be reading, uh, is it In the Mounds of Madness? At, at the Mounds, Mounds of Madness. Yeah, so at the Mounds of Madness uh, by Lovecraft. And we'll be playing the new horror game on PS4 until dawn. I got clearly you were the one who suggested It Follows. Would you like to give an introduction? Oh, yes. I've seen It Follows twice now. Um, <laughs> I love horror movies, but I'm easily disappointed by them. Because there are so few, I mean, there's so many bad ones. And, I, and there's something to be enjoyed about bad ones. And this was a genuinely good, it felt fresh. It felt, someone described it, some reviewer described it as an urban legend that it feels like an urban legend that already existed that you'd just forgotten about. Mm. Um, and it, def, it definitely felt like this is a story you could have heard growing up. Uh, I like that. Very spooky. Uh, like genuinely freaky on, on not in this, just like a jump scare way. So. All right, I'm even more excited. As but, soon as people started talking about this, I was like, oh, this is going to be one of those scary movies I'm going to end up having to see, isn't it? <laughs> I tried to get you to see this like three times. You did, and I weaseled we my way out of it. <laughs> ended up seeing other things every time, and I was fine with it. We saw a lot of other really good movies because we of that. <laughs> we saw really good movies. Uh, uh, but yeah, so really excited for October, uh, and with that, we'll jump into spoilers. So... The thing that I've been kind of itching to say, and it's not much of a spoiler, but I've been waiting anyway. It is, is kind of hard to talk spoilers about this. There's not a lot of spoilers to yeah. be given. It's it was a weird it was a weird line to draw earlier. Yeah, it's not it's not like much. It's you know it's it's not like a, a typical movie. You don't have like rising action and a climax. And you really fun. don't. It's just like it's just a story. It's just five days. Yeah, stuff happened. Like a yeah. friendship was created, and that's that's yeah. kind of that. But. Uh, the stuff with Alanis Morissette yeah. <laughs> is so great. Uh, the conversation between the two of them when he, uh, when, when Lipsky points out the poster mm. and they, and he's talking about like, th- there's like the two theoretical date scenarios, which are both really, where he's like the, Oh, the first one being, he's like, you know, wouldn't you, you know, don't you think you should put your feelers out and like give it a shot? And he's like, Oh yeah, yeah that would be so Alanis great. Like, <laughs> we finally meet and she, or I finally be like, Oh, you know, we, we get a chance to see each other. And I was like, do you want to like go grab a coffee? And she's like, who the fuck are you? Get away from me. <laughs> and then the other one being like, he gets the chance to go on an actual date with her through some, something or other. And he's just like, yeah, and I'm just going and I'm just perspiring heavily the whole time. And it's just awful. And I'm nervous. And he's like, but of course I would do it. There's like that whole sequence, which was great. And then later when they're all just spontaneously singing, you ought to know in the car, uh, when it's, uh, uh, Lipsky and, and David Foster Wallace. And then, uh, his friend from grad school and then one of his fans who kind of became a friend yeah like a it was played by meryl streep's daughter right i did not know that i thought um, she looked either. like it looked like her <laughs> sorry uh, if it's just might, an actress who looks like her true it could be uh but yeah it uh the fan who like someone who they met because she wrote him a fan letter but she was like a like an editor for like a small publisher or something was how i got it or she like ran a book club she like seemed to be in the industry in some way in with some the way, way that yeah. conversation went, but I don't remember it off the top of my head now. It was a very literary person in general. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, his it was his ex-girlfriend from grad school, right? Yeah. yeah. I believe so, yes. Uh, and they were uh, – you know, we got them in two short scenes in the movie uh, or three. 
And just the four of them in the car singing You Ought to Know was was a pretty good touch. It was like maybe a half hour of movie time after this conversation had happened and it was just kind of like a perfect like self-referential kind of thing that was just fun for me. That scene was frustrating because that was the one where it gets so close to being it, – it feels like it's trying to be that tiny dancer scene. I don't know. I don't know. I, am I – have you seen I felt that I felt that I way a little bit too. Almost Famous, so I don't have a – Almost Famous is genuinely one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah, it's at the top but, of my list of like 2C, but – It's on the top of my list of movies that I force friends to see and thus create more people who don't like Almost Famous, which is a problem. <laughs> but um, – it, I mean, and a, a lot of movies have had good takes on that. I, Pitch Perfect, actually, of all films, has a wonderful. Oh, it's so planet. good! It's, it's so good, but it's the perfect song, Early right? Days. Yeah, oh yeah, it's perfect, especially yeah. for that movie and that time frame, and just every yeah, yeah, and great, just like the way that that's set up, like it's it's very clearly meant to be the same thing, and they're on a bus in the song anyway. But um, listen, I have an unabashed love for Pitch Perfect. If I become the person who like gushes about that movie every single time we have a movie episode, I'll be content. If I find a way, I'm I'm gonna find a way to work Pitch Perfect into every movie episode from now on. I would be happy to do it with you. I love that movie. Perfect. Um, but so anyway, it a lot of movies kind of try to play with that tiny dancer scene, and it's it is iconic and. For this one, it was frustrating because while it was, it was good and it was fun, particularly with the context of talking about Alanis Morissette from earlier, it felt like yeah, this isn't enough to actually give me that moment that I feel is conspicuously lacking from the movie. And it's getting close enough to remind me that it's not that moment without actually giving it to me. And that was kind of like a weird rub for me. But that's the biggest complaint I had about that. It was a fun scene. <laughs> All right, yeah. we we we've got to we've got to have more to talk about here. I oh well, um the the other very kind of humanizing moment that I wanted to not mention earlier is it's those kind of like last shots in the film, not post credits when he's talking into the reporter. Which I just fucking loved. It was gorgeous, but also was in the previews, which was frustrating to me. I actually never saw that trailer, so oh, that was great. It's yeah, it's it's a great trailer, um, but it when when he's dancing. Um, oh yeah 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 that was i don't know knowing that he committed suicide and seeing that scene as like the last kind of thing before the credits was pretty that was very powerful yeah. yeah that note is a really powerful note to go out on absolutely knowing um, that god it just knowing that that he had previously been on suicide watch knowing that how he felt about that and how it made him think and the fact that he referred to it multiple times is like doing something stupid mm. and that it's still what happened anyway, like just yeah. absolutely crushes me. Yeah. So what I believe according to Wikipedia uh, happened, like the course of it is that he had been for like, I think a span of like 20 years on the same antidepressant and it was, you know, working fairly well for him, except for then he started, I think he had some really bad side effects and his doctor decided to kind of weed him off of it. And then he went off of it completely and then the depression came back and it was really bad and he tried going back on the same medication again, but this time it lost its effectiveness, which is always, you know, a risk when you change up your medication at all, right? It's yeah. like you never know if the same meds are going to have the same effect later on. And his wife had been keeping a close eye on him knowing that he was like, you know, in a very, very vulnerable position and he still – it just – it wasn't like enough. That bad, that bad period was – really really bad and that's when he committed suicide back in 2008 it's yeah it really does do a good job with a lot of 
those things and some of those things where it that it it knows enough to tell you at the beginning about his suicide because they do a good job of kind of not necessarily foreshadowing it but um they flat out say right at the beginning because the yeah, first scene literally the first line yeah I think. yeah yeah so like, get the call. He picks up the phone and says hello and then says, hey i'm seeing a story going around that david foster wallace committed suicide i thought yeah. And he's like, what? No, 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 that can't be true. Like, that's, that's literally yeah. the opening of the movie. Sorry, I, I, sorry, I, I think I was unclear. I, that specifically, I liked that they did that because the rest of the movie that is set before they know that he is going to kill himself. Right, yeah, right, that right. the, yeah, yeah. the way that they, the characters foreshadow it to themselves and each other, um, rather than the film to you, the viewer, as though it's going to be a twist. Sorry. Though, another thing, though, that I really did like with that, and particularly with that kind of thing, you know, he, it, going back to that whole sense of, wallace as a rock star in this movie and some of the ways that i genuinely thought they did a great job with that you know you have a lot of those kind of like rock stars who die young through be it suicide you know depression or drugs in excess um but the way that they had wallace talk about his addictions and specifically you know the the sequence when um lipsky's trying to talk to him about heroin addiction which he I the thing about the bug me about the scene was he like Wallace reacts to it as if like saying that they've had this conversation before and like why do you keep bringing this up and that kind of stuff but do we actually see them have that conversation no he it, has the conversation with his editor yelling at him about it I think that in that situation the implication is that Wallace is not talking to Lipsky but talking to the media like I think like in that people case, in like, general have asked yeah, him about it. I think you is the yeah the general yeah definitely yeah that definitely could be the case the royal you so to speak yeah but um but yeah but just I I really liked that response and it was kind of hard because I thought the movie did a really good job of showing not telling that up until that point of um where he's just like yeah like my my addictions aren't sexy it's not something like heroin it's he said mainly it was television and alcohol yeah it's television yeah. And it's things like that, but it's kind of tough because the rest of the movie does such a great job of showing this kind of rock star on the road, out on tour, trashing hotel rooms, late to things because what was it, it was like like Magnum PI and yeah, like, there was like a like a triple feature of it was like Magnum PI and Charlie's Angels and yeah. something else. And it wasn't even just like a triple feature; it was like a simulcast. He was like switching between the three. Yeah, that's like what all, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and th- like and just this just this image of you know just like a rock star like mainlining just some kind of drug right you yeah. know it's like this is then in so many ways that is just like a speedball for him right and you know that you've got things like that and i thought they did a really good job and when they're like seeing movies and he's like not really interacting with people correctly because he's like just watching tv and you get this sense of him just kind of going kind of backsliding and going back into it's like relapsing, right? Yeah. And that he can't have a TV in his house because he knows he would just leave it on all the time and that he wouldn't get anything done because he would fall back into that. Um, I, I it was like an interesting way to way to do it, and you know certainly the comments that he makes about you know where he just makes it very clear that that's the case were were smart and interesting, but also kind of frustrating, right? Because it felt like that was something that they were doing a very good job of showing, not telling, and and then they tell you, but yeah, it makes for a good scene. And I think that's why I'm ultimately willing to forgive them for doing the telling in that one instance is because like, the scene ultimately ends up being worth it. I 100%. 
I think one of the most interesting things about at least Jason Siegel's portrayal of David Foster Wallace is like how self-aware he is of his flaws and the nature of like of of his depression and his addictions and yet even with like and I think this happens with writers a lot um where they there's a lot of analyzing of like the self because you're always like in your own head trying to like get the stuff in your head on the page um he's so self-aware of his problems yet he and even though he like has this knowledge and he can like really like self-diagnose very well not that he was self-diagnosed depressed but like specific like what his specific problems were it wasn't like enough to be able to conquer them like having that knowledge and having analyzed it like all the little details of it and knowing exactly how to articulate what his problems were were not enough for him to like overcome them and i felt i don't know that was a very that was probably my favorite part of jason siegel's performance was the instances where he did kind of show this really acute self-awareness yet still being totally vulnerable to those things even have after having identified them. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think this is the kind of, I, you know, I said that I saw it today so that it would be fresh and so that I would be most able to talk about it, but I think I'm the least able to talk about it. Cause this really seems like the kind of movie that needs to sit and you kind of need to think about. I don't know, it hit me really. I don't know this as a writer, this hit really and knowing a lot of other writers and just knowing that and there's always that image of the artist or the creative person who is struggling with mental illness and making trying to portray mental illness as being sexy in a way kind of like the addictions that and i think this movie did a good job of saying like no this isn't like that isn't sexy like it's kind of like it's this is what it really is it's like ugly and it's not convenient and it's not like necessarily making me a better artist or writer even though i know a lot of people like to say like oh the mental illness like fuels the creativity and i don't think that there was like there was one line towards the end specifically that i found to be very it was when uh david foster Wallace comes back into the room where david lipsky is sleeping which is like just that futon on the ground yeah. with the books that was such a writer's room too where they just have <laughs> like all the books that they're holding on to like the ones that they get to keep and it just looks like a forest of books and like they're gonna topple down and kill somebody at any minute, um, which I was admittedly expecting the dogs to like yeah, knock over yeah, the, dogs, the groups of yeah. books right onto him. But he walks in right, and it's one of the, it's like I think it's the last night that he, David Lipsky's there, and he's had this kind of epiphany or this realization where he's kind of finally figured out how to articulate something he was trying to say earlier. And he was saying, "Well, it's not." He said, "I think the problem was, and this is me paraphrasing horribly, that I grew up very American, and I have like this very American problem." of i I've, I've always i always felt like if i achieve x or y then that will equate to being happy like that will bring me happiness and that is like a very american pro i mean like i feel like a lot of people especially in their 20s i think he was specifically talking about in his 20s too where because at one point in the movie he says i hit the age of 28 and i felt i truly felt like my life was over like there was nothing else that was going to happen that was good and i feel there's a lot of pressure on people in their 20s now still to have achieved something really great by the time they get to 30 because, I don't know, in, at least right now, it always kind of feels like it's a sin to age or at least a sin to age without having, you know, achieved something great by these different, like, arbitrary markers. And that is, again, also very American, I feel, or at least very Western. And he articulates it in that one scene just very well where he's standing in the doorway kind of framed by the light in the hallway and Jesse Eisenberg 
character is lying on his mattress still. And it's a really interesting way to have a conversation where one guy is like lying in bed, like having almost like trying to fall asleep. And this other guy comes in and it's the middle of the night and they have like this one sided conversation pretty much. And then he just like disappears. Yeah. He's like, all right, good night. Like he just had this epiphany. He like finally realized how to articulate this one thing he was trying to say and he appears to say it and then he just disappears. And then I think like Lipsky immediately like grabs his notebook. Yeah, and he yeah. Rattles it like, oh my God. Cause he hadn't been recording that part. Yeah. yeah. And that even then, I think part of the thing that makes, I, I agree with you. I think that you hit the nail right on the head. That's, that's really one of the great scenes in the movie. But um, I think even one of like the, the great parts about it is even though just right before that, when Lipsky's trying to sleep and you just see there and it's like from his point of view as he's looking up at just the towers, like the physical embodiments of Wallace's accomplishments, just towering over him, literally like with the threat of falling and crushing him at any time, just like that Lipsky's being potentially crushed by the weight of everything else this guy has done, who's sitting there talking about how he's really not that special. And I think that this really is one of the, the real victories of the film is that you've got Lipsky there trying to convince Wallace that Wallace is great almost. And Wallace trying to convince Lipsky that he's not that great and that Lipsky needs Wallace to be great, not just because that's what he thinks, but because if Wallace isn't that great, then what does that say about Lipsky, who's like just gotten his first book published and it's just kind of this nothing little thing? And what does he have to aspire to? Like, yeah. you don't want to hear your hero is like just some ordinary dude. Or, you know, like if the per you have an idea of if you have like a single person who you think I want to be that and then you meet that person and that person keeps insisting like you do not want to be me. Which is a line that he even says. I think it's like the last thing he says to him before he gets in the car. It's like, I don't think you really want to be me. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I really don't think he, you. I think yeah. he's in the car and he says it to him right before he drives away. Like, it's as final as it can get. Yeah. It's just. Short of like mailing him that shoe at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Which I loved. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> and the little smiley face. Yeah. But yeah, I think like it's things like that where. I might have been kind of frustrated with the way that Wallace was portrayed and stuff like that, but I think that Lipsky's portrayal is really good. I I still think it suffers from that same issue of it feels like it's a lot of a lot of his lines are from the tapes, yeah. but at the same time, it feels like there's a bit more room to have that characterization and those moments where Lipsky is just lying there in the bed, and then like you're absolutely again, I think you hit the nail right on the head that it's this weird power dynamic of he's like lying there on the ground and Wallace is standing like framed in the doorway. He's just kind of this imposing figure. And yeah, like it makes for those like really great scenes, but it seems like the place where they get to play with it a bit more is with Lipsky. Um, but yeah, it really is a good one to like almost end on just as you just standing right there and trying to talk to him about like, yeah, I felt like I needed to achieve something as you're just standing there in this room full of his achievements that, you know, he just doesn't really want to talk about. And it's also funny because he, there's another line he has where he says, like, oh, God, like, shoot me if I ever, sit, like, start telling people, oh, I'm a writer. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> so that's the thing I always talk about. It's like, I hate people who, like, think that they're a writer with, like, a capital W or they talk about the craft endlessly but don't really put the work into the, write the books or whatever, or, or the short stories or the essays or what have you, the poems. Um, there's a lot of people who love to talk about, and you see it on Twitter with a lot of, like writers who are trying to start out, right? Or they've, they haven't really published anything yet. And they just, they're constantly talking about their process of writing this book that they haven't finished yet. And it's, and it's, you know, it's the aspiring writer syndrome, right? Um, 
So it's it's very popular to talk about writing without actually doing a lot of writing. He definitely did not want to be seen as someone who – obviously he didn't, never had to prove that he was doing the writing because Infinite Jest came out and it was super, super successful immediately. Um, but he still, even with that success, didn't want to be seen as someone who talked excessively about his craft. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think we all come down on the movie uh, pretty positively. Yeah, I think so. Uh I don't know. I, I'm. I mean, I've flailed through most of this because I feel like I'm still. You're still processing. I'm still processing everything, but um, so I'm mostly struggling to come up with a with a solid rap for this. I mean, it's hard. Like I, I wasn't kidding when I said that it took me like the last month and a half to figure out how I felt about this movie. Like it was, it's a weird one to digest. Just there's there's a lot going on. And because I mean, you're kind of digesting the movie and an interview with just a brilliant guy all at the same time. But it's a tough one. All that said, though, it's I I have a hard time telling someone not to see it again. If you're not interested in David Foster Wallace, this isn't going to help. Yeah, it's not going to change your mind. This is nothing like that. But, you know, if you are, it's. It's a good movie, and again, I think that's from the guy who was the least sold on it in the group. So, yeah, and I had known very little about him, or and not read anything he had written going into this, and it definitely made me want to read his work. And I still found the movie very interesting. You definitely don't need to be a fan, yeah. It, which is nice. That would have that would have been an easy barrier to put up. Um, you make it. I think yeah. it also would have been like too large of a barrier. Like I feel like oh, there I are a, like a way more people in our boat who know of him and haven't engaged with his writing yet than there are people who like have engaged with his writing and would want to see this movie. Oh, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. Um but at the same time as big of one as it would be, I think it would have been an easy one to do. Like get too into oh, sure. like trying to analyze his books or whatever, or, like get into that and really don't need to you don't need to have read it. You don't really even need a good sense of who he is beyond just the fact that he is significant, you know, worthy of making a movie about. Which even the the movie itself manages to to hit home. Oh, absolutely, pretty well. But coming into it with that understanding is yeah, is definitely helpful. Yeah. So I I think that's our episode. Yeah, um, so too. I uh, I'm out of my limited thoughts. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I mean, I would definitely recommend seeing it even if you're not super aware of David Foster Wallace. I mean, if you like movies with a lot of kind of deep conversations, it's probably... It's definitely for you. Yeah. yeah. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, we'll be back next month here with It Follows. Um, we'd highly recommend or we'd love to have you come check out some of our, our other podcasts if you're just listening to... If you're just listening to watch, um, we'll be having some howling fun with those. But until then, thank you so much. <laughs>